You're listening to another life-transforming message from our senior pastor, Jurgen Matesius. For more information on our church, go to c3saltlakecity.com. Oh, you're so kind. Come on, let's give Jesus a great shout this morning. Come on. Come on, let's bless the Lord, oh my soul. Hallelujah, Father. We bless you. We magnify you. Would you do this? Stay standing, but lift your Bible in the air. Say these words. Say, Heavenly Father, this morning I stand in the house of the living God. And I thank you today that as your word is preached from this pulpit, it's about to go into my heart. It's about to rock. It's about to change. It's about to shift everything in my life because there is nothing more powerful than your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead, give two or three people a big high five. Prophesy over them. Tell them they are really, really ridiculously good looking. That way if the sermon's lousy, at least you can say, well, I heard a positive word in church. Somebody told me I was really, really ridiculously good looking. Speaking of ridiculously good looking, how awesome is Pastor Andrew and Irina Bennett? Aren't they just fantastic? Just how many people think that they should cancel their trip to Australia and stay in Salt Lake? It's pretty unanimous, isn't it? How good was the worship, the Polynesian sensation up there? You did such a great job this morning, man. So good. And beautiful Kelsey Keddington III was brilliant as usual. So also wonderful to have Pastor Arnie and Pastor Jan. Can we give these guys a great round of applause? Come on, stand up. Let everyone see you. Arnie and Jan used to pastor here many years ago, and then their, their son and daughter-in-law, Chad and Amanda, founded this great church, and we just so honor you, and so great to have you guys here. And then I know there are visitors from everywhere. One more time, can we put our hands up? We've got visitors from everywhere. Can we put our hands together and just one more time thank all the visitors, and so great to have you with us. And I'm just so proud of the high team. I was swamped when I got out of the car by friendly faces and that's how it should be when you come to church church should be a friendly place and then i just loved all the dancing and everything else it's uh if, if you're wondering what on earth has gotten into the water here it's the holy ghost it's it's good it's good this is how church is meant to be you know jesus said there is more joy in heaven he didn't say that all of a sudden heaven gets joyful he says, there is more joy in heaven when one sinner returns to Christ. So, you know, there's, there's already, joy is already set on 10, but God's got an 11 setting. <laughs> That's so naughty. That's from a bad movie. <laughs> but God's got an 11 setting. And when one person gets saved, he sets it to 11. Can't you just set it to 11? <laughs> anyway, they, Oh, dear Jesus. But it's great to be back here, Vince and Becca. You guys are looking fantastic and doing great, fantastic. And what great pastors and what great leaders and what great team. You guys can uh, take a break for a minute. And, uh, you know, we're, we're coming into vision builders. And you don't have to get nervous. Just get excited. And that testimony that you saw up there with the, uh, the Jaegers is, is kind of one of, you know, thousands of testimonies. That there is, there is an actual principle realize this but uh that there's a, a simpatico that is meant to happen between you and i on earth and god in heaven i'm not sure if you realize that so when jesus taught the disciples to praise is when you pray say our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven 
God, God always intended for the earth to be a reflection of heaven. Sadly, Lucifer decided that he didn't want to be Lucifer, light bearer anymore. He wanted to be Satan, uh, the accuser. And so he decided that, that earth, he was going to do everything in his darndest to make sure that earth doesn't reflect heaven. But then introduce Jesus and then introduce his bride, the church. And so you and I are here and we make a declaration every time we meet together, every, every time we gather, every time we lift up the name Jesus, every time we worship, we, 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 we tell the devil, you ain't setting the thermostat of what earth's going to look like. We're going to make sure that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, that the earth is going to look like heaven. So there's meant to be this partnership. There's meant to be a partnership. And in, in that partnership, you will find that as you build God's house, as Pastor Vince says, God will build your house. As you build God's house, God will build your house. So, so today I want to I want to um, talk to you. Uh, I was trying to come up with a creative title, and then I just thought, you know what? I'm not even going to kind of try and get too creative. Let, let's let's just kind of uh, just go with what this thing is, and it's it's called prosperity truths. Prosperity truths. I just thought it's so important to to, to preach on this today as we come into Vision Builders, because there's, there's a lot of negative junk out there about, you know, ooh, you know you guys are like Joel Osteen, aren't you? Is that prosperity doctrine? He's a false teacher. He's tr teaching that God loves people, and he's for them. And, friend, God is for you. And that's, that's evil. You know, you, shouldn't, you should preach that God likes smiting people. He's a mighty smiter. And he loves it when you struggle, you know. And he didn't think things through. That's why the earth has got a lack of resources, doesn't it? And, and that, that's how a lot of people think. A lot of people think that there's a prosperity doctrine. There's no such thing as a prosperity gospel or a prosperity doctrine. There is the gospel and it's full of prosperity. There's one gospel and it's... How, how, how can you say that? Well, the Bible says he took us from the kingdom of darkness and has translated us to the kingdom of the son of his love. When you get to heaven, I guarantee you won't find one panhandler in heaven. There's, there's nobody begging. or he Heaven is heaven because every need is met. Heaven is heaven because even the streets in heaven are paved with gold. God is trying to communicate to us that heaven is a place of abundance. Heaven is a place of abundance. God took the children of Israel out of Egypt, 400 years of bondage and slavery. You know what Egypt is, what slavery is? Slavery is where you labor and toil, but you have nothing to show for it. You have nothing to show for you. You, you are just working to live. You are just working to exist. You are just working to keep your head above the water. That was Egypt. And God says, I'm going to take you out of Egypt, and I'm going to take you, and I'm going to lead you into a land of your own, a land flowing with milk and honey. Let me just say today on Memorial Day, somebody who was born in Germany, grew up in Australia, lived seven years in New Zealand, and now has had the privilege to call America uh, home for, all, for coming up 14 years this July. There is no nation. There is no nation like America. There is no nation that, it, that has ever compared to America. And uh, there's a lot of negativity in the media. Um, there's, a, there's just people that, that they don't like America, but they're too cowardly to move out.
Oh, 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 they, 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 they want to stay here and eat the benefits and receive all the blessings while they pipe off about how bad she is. And, and, uh, and you'll, you'll, hear, you'll hear knuckleheads talk about, you know, uh, you know, slavery and these people, they had slaves back then. America's evil because, you know, they mistreated people. So, so let me just explain something. Let me explain it. When, when the founding fathers came here, slavery was a worldwide thing. It was a global thing. But when they wrote in the declaration that God created every man equal, that God created every man equal in his image and likeness, they set in motion. They set in motion something that would catch up, that would eventually cause the emancipation where everybody is treated equal, where slavery would be it, it, it happened here because of what they did there. Don't listen to the naysayers and the cowards who will try and tell you that America has got some blemishes and America is, is not good and America is not great. America is one of the greatest nations. She is the number one mission-sending nation in the world. She is the number one funding of mission. She is the first to send relief and aid. She literally holds together most of the... After World War II, it was America that rebuilt nations, my nation, Germany, and she still has troops there and still has resources there today. There is no, You can lift your head up high. The people that we're honoring on Memorial Day, they did not die in vain. They died, they gave their lives believing, believing. You may say, well, hang, hang, hang on a minute. How come you went on a bit of a political rant? Well, I went on a rant because you need to understand that the spirit of dishonor is the spirit of the devil. The culture of the kingdom of heaven, if you were to be translated right now to heaven, you would be, you would be awestruck by the level of honor that is in heaven. And so I've made a decision. If I want heaven to come to earth, then I've got to create the same atmosphere. If you, want the same, if you want the same experience, you've got to create the same atmosphere. For, for, for example, if I want to swim with the fishes. Hey, you go and swim with the fishes. Not that way. If I, if I, wanted to, if I want to swim with, with fishes, I've got to, I, can't, I can't take this atmosphere. I've got, to go, I've got to go into their atmosphere. So I've got to take, I've got to, I've got to take a scuba tank with me because I can't survive underwater for more than about 60 seconds. So I've got to take this atmosphere here with me in a scuba tank so I can exist down there. If, if I wanted to go to space, there's no, there's no atmosphere, there's no oxygen there. So for me to exist there, I have to take this atmosphere with me. So for God's will to come, we have to understand that God lives in an atmosphere. Heaven occupies on an atmosphere. It, it dwells in an atmosphere. So that's why you find when we walk in, there is praise and there is worship. What are we doing? We're setting an atmosphere. And you'll find that the Bible says God inhabits the praises of His people because when we begin to praise, we are just like heaven. The earth is no more like heaven than when we praise. When we praise and when we worship, it's almost hard to distinguish. It's one of those Forrest Gump moments. We're just writing to Jenny. It was so beautiful, Jenny. I couldn't tell where the earth finished and heaven began. That's, that's literally the angels and that's God when we worship and when we praise. A culture of honor. 
a culture of honor is, is a place where God can move. Do you know Jesus could do no mighty work in his hometown? Isn't that crazy? Jesus who, who walked on water, Jesus who calmed the storm, Jesus who raised the dead, comes into his hometown of Nazareth, and the Bible says he could do no mighty work there, which means he wanted to, but he could do no mighty work, and the Bible says because of their unbelief, because of their unbelief. But Jesus actually, that's the, the narrator, Mark, writes that in chapter 6, but Jesus digs down. He says, no, no, no. He says, a prophet is not without honor. They had an honor issue. And so I'm determined, if, if we're going to shift something in the city of Salt Lake, if we're going to shift something in the atmosphere, then we're going to build a church. We're going to have a church that has a culture of honor. So when people walk in here, they may not understand the guitars. They may not understand the praise and the worship and the people jumping and everyone wearing blue high shirts. And are people high? They look like they're high. Where's the GH on the... On the shit, you know, and, and people may not understand, but you know what? They're going to experience heaven. They're going to experience heaven. We, we, we want to create an atmosphere and environment. I need you to understand there is an atmosphere and environment where, where heaven can flow. And I'm telling you, when people get diagnosed with, with a terminal illness, all of a sudden they, don't, they need a little less earth and they need a little more heaven. When you're on the brink of bankruptcy and you need a breakthrough and you need, you, you need a little less, you need a lot more of heaven. When you're finding that you're unable to conceive, you need some heaven flowing. And we've made a decision. We want to create an atmosphere in church that that is a place where heaven can flow, where people can experience breakthroughs and miracles. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Amen. Come with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I love Deuteronomy. When I uh, was in Bible school, they, they, uh, we had to do 20 hours of practicum every week. And part of those hours, I was on the new Christians team. And uh, there was a, a young man. He, he got radically saved in, in uh, jail. He went to jail for uh, armed robbery and aggravated assault. And he did 10 years. And he had a, a conversion in church. And I remember I, he came out and just, he was just on fire. And I said, what's your favorite book? He goes, Deuteronomy. <laughs> and, and because he'd been in there for aggravated assault and was quite, I didn't bother to correct him. So every now and again, I'll, I'll refer to it as Deuteronomy. I just thought it was so funny. Mate, I love Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy is what we're going to read from. And let's go down to verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, to which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, when you have eaten enough full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you to this day, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the, the great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good 
to you in the end. Then, if you say in your heart, my power, my might, the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Well, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant, which He swore to your fathers as it is to this day. I love that. That last verse again, Deuteronomy 8.18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you what? Come on, somebody. He who gives you power to get wealth. For what? That, you may, that we may establish His covenants in the earth. Amen. So I want to give you three quick thoughts. The first one is that, number one, the Bible tells us that God gives you the power to prosper. The power to prosper. Whatever you're facing right now, I want you to understand God gives you the power to prosper. Now, let me just explain something again. When we come to the Bible, it is very important that we interpret the Bible with Bible definitions, not world definitions. So you're going to find all the way through the Bible, for example, in Proverbs 10.22, it says, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. So immediately we hear the word rich, and because we're being edumacated in an edumacation system, we interpret the word rich with what we've been taught. But you need to understand that the biblical definition of rich is to have sufficient, in fact, to have abundant resources to meet your own needs and the needs of others. Rich in the Bible means to have so sufficient resources that you are bound that you're able to meet your needs and the needs of others. The Bible definition of poor is to have insufficient resources that you cannot meet your needs. To have insufficient resources so that you cannot meet your needs. So it's so important that, that you understand that. So, so what is God's will? Is it for you to be poor? Is it for you to be rich? Well, the Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. God will not give you power to get something that is evil. God is not going to give you power to get something that is against His will. God is not going to give you power to get something that He is displeased in. God wants you to have the biblical definition of rich. What is rich again? It is for you to have an abundance of resources to meet just not just your needs, but the needs of others. David said that he anoints my head with oil and my cup overfloweth. Why does his cup overfloweth? Is it because God is dreadful at pouring into cups? Here, David, let me fill your cup. A squirrel. Oh, oh, oh sorry about that. You know, or, or is it, or is it that God, you know, like stained tablecloths? Here, David, I'm going to pour. Okay, God, you're getting near the top. <laughs> I'm going to keep pouring. I like stained tablecloths. Why, 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 why would David say, my cup overfloweth? What, 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 well, that's excessive. What a waste, said Judas. What, it's abundance because if your cup's overflowing, do you know how many people you live with? work with, drive by, know whose cups are empty. And they've got no idea how to fill their cup because they listen to the garbage taught in our universities and colleges. But all of a sudden they see that you've got an abundance. And you can say, hey, bring your empty cup here and put it under this. And they say, my God, this is fantastic. And then they hang on a minute. Mine's empty now. Yours is still, where do you get there? You can begin to point to heaven. 
you begin to say, when you make Jesus Christ, Lord, when God is the God over your life, God wants you to, He wants you to be in a place where you are blessed to be a blessing. Come on, somebody. Where you can help somebody else, where you can be a blessing to somebody. Now, now watch this. This is one of my favorite stories. Uh, John the Baptist is about to be beheaded. He's, he's, you know, he's moments away from being executed. So he sends two of his disciples to Jesus because he wants to know, if I'm going to meet God, if I'm going to meet my mate, I, I, I want to know, did I fulfill the mission? Did I fulfill the assignment God gave me? And the Bible says when these two disciples come to Jesus, Jesus is right in the middle of preaching and ministering. And so he says, just, you know, just sit down for a second. And so he carries on. Well, at the end, he calls them over. And they said, hey, uh, we got a message from John. John wants to know, are you the one? Are you the coming one or do we look for another? And Jesus says, well, go and tell John the things that you heard and the things that you saw. The dead are raised back to life. The blind see. The deaf hear. Lepers are cleansed. The lame are made whole. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now watch this. If you're dead, what, what, what do you need? Life. Jesus gave the dead life. The blind, sight. The deaf, hearing. Lepers, cleansing. The lame, wholeness. To the poor, he gave the gospel. Did Jesus rip the poor off? Did Jesus, did Jesus not give the poor what they needed? Watch this. Jesus gave the blind man what he needed, sight. He gave the deaf man what he needed, hearing. He gave the dead man what he needed, life. He gave the leper what he needed, cleansing. He gave the layman what he needed, wholeness. He gave the poor exactly. He didn't give the poor handouts. He didn't give them food stamps. He didn't give them a gold bar. He, didn't get, he gave the poor the gospel. Why did he give the poor the gospel? Why did he give the poor the gospel? Because before poverty is a condition of your hand, it's a condition of your head. Poverty is a mentality, and the root of a poverty mentality is there is no God or there is no God who is a provider. The Bible says when the brook Cherith dried up, when the source of provision for Elijah dried up, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, said, Arise, go to Zarephath. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. See, he lost his provision, but he never lost his provider. The last time I read my Bible, my Bible teaches that one of the covenant names where God reveals himself is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who sees and in seeing provides. You may lose a job, and there, there, there may be times where there are layoffs and you know, companies rise and companies close. But can I tell you, if Jesus Christ is Lord, you may lose a source of provision, but you never lose your provider. God is a provider. He knows how to provide for his children. King David said, I've been young and now I'm old and I've never seen God's children begging bread or the righteous forsaken. He says, a testimony of my life is the fact that God knows how to take care of his kids. He knows how to provide for you. A few months ago, I was in uh, Hawaii and they have a massive homeless population. And, uh, and I remember just thinking, man, isn't it amazing that all the, all the blue states have high homeless? And then I began to feel like, oh, man, is it because, you know, they've, they've got a corner on the market of compassion? And then the Holy Spirit, just an early morning work, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and says, don't confuse the high volumes of homelessness with high levels of compassion. He says, when you see lots of homeless people, it's not because of the presence of compassion. It's because of the resistance of the gospel. 
It's resistance to the gospel. They resist the gospel because here's the thing. When you hear the gospel, Jesus becomes your Lord. Jesus becomes your Savior. Savior. Jehovah Jireh becomes your provider, and you're no longer dependent on government. Oh, they, 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 they want to trophy these people like, look how compassionate we are. And they keep them alive just enough to, to live, but be government dependent but never prospering, never breaking out. And so you will find that in those places, they resist the gospel vehemently because for 2,000 years, the greatest deliverer from poverty is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is for you, not against you. He wants to make you the head, not the tail. Above only, not beneath. Somebody say, I mean, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And there are principles in the scripture. God will give you the power to get wealth. Can somebody say amen? When I went to Bible school, uh, I was leaving engineering. Now, my, my dad, my dad is a proud German, and he, he grew up in East Germany under communism and atheism, and uh, he escaped to the West by running through the minefield. So, uh, so my dad was a risk taker, so he ran through the minefield, got into the West, met my mom in a shoe shop, and uh, anyway, the rest is history. So we moved to Australia when I, when I was uh, three years of age and, and grow up, and so at the end of school, I end up in a mechanical engineering program. My dad was pretty pumped that I was going to be a mechanical engineer. He's telling all his friends. And I'm not sure if you know much about uh, Germans, but my name, Jürgen, is spelled with a J. looks like Jürgen. Like every time I go to Starbucks, it, they just butcher it. It's terrible. And, uh, but Germans have some interesting names. I had a, an Uncle Wolfgang. What parent looks at a baby and goes, I think we call him Wolfgang. He looks like a gang of wolves. I mean, how do you... I don't know how you, all right, this is going to get a little bit naughty, okay, so you've got to lean in. So, so, so one of my dad's best friends, his name was Uwe, and it's U-W-E, but everyone called him Yui. Yui. Then, then his other best friend at the German club where we always met, his first name is Horst, H-O-R-S-T, Horst. His last name was Schmidt. Three guesses what everyone called him. <laughs> Mr. Manure. You know, it's like, anyway, and so, so, so I, 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 I tell mom I'm leaving engineering to go to Bible college. She's like, oh, gee, your father, your father, you have to tell. So I, dri I drive up to the German club and he's, you know, having a beer with Horst Schmidt and Uwe and, you know, and, and, you know, all his friends. And, uh, and so I'm like, dad, I said, dad, you know, I'm going to go to, and he just hit the roof. Why do you want to leave engineering to be a priest? I said, Dad, I'm not going to be a priest. I'm going to marry Leanne. I said, I'm going to be a pastor. Why do you want? And he was so mad. Anyway, the day that I was leaving to go to, to, to Bible school, he stood in the driveway and put his hand on the car, and he said, not one cent, not one cent of support will you get from me. And, uh, and true, true to his declaration, not one cent of support for, for me going off to college. And I remember just driving up the hill to go to, to, to Bible school, which is about a three-hour drive away, just thinking, oh, my gosh, I, I guess I'll never own a house. I'll never be, be, be able to buy a home. I had no idea, you know, I'd only been a Christian maybe five years. David wrote in the Psalms, if my parents forsake me, the Lord will take care of me. I've got to tell you the goodness of God. God began to show me that He is my provider. And that if my earthly parents don't look after me, He will look after me. All I have to do is apply His principles. Now, let me tell you, we are, Leanne and I are so blessed. And you're saying, well, you know, you're, you're probably so blessed because God likes you more than... 
Can I tell you that God is no respecter of persons? But He is a respecter of principles. God is no respecter of persons, but He is a respecter of principles. If you apply this to your life, it has the same power as it has in my life. If I violate this in my life, I, I will eat it. But if I apply it to my life, you will find the blessed. God, God watches over His Word to perform it. God wants to give you power to get wealth. But the first thing you've got to do is you've got to understand that so often poverty is a mindset. Poverty is a mindset. Did you know that money is a fantastic servant but a terrible master? Jesus says you can't serve two masters. Either you'll love the one or you'll... Uh, you, you love one and serve the other, or you love one and hate the other, but you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God. So a lot of Christians have had this mentality over the years. You know, I just serve God, but I have nothing to do with money. I'll serve God, but, you know, have nothing to do with money. Nowhere in the Bible does, does, does Jesus say have nothing to do with money. What about the rich young ruler? Glad you asked. Um, in the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, well, you know the commandments. Well, I have kept all of these things. I was a youth. And Jesus says, well, what's the middle letter of sin? Anyway, uh, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Why don't you sell everything you have, Mr. Rich Young Ruler? Sell everything you have. Give to the poor. Follow me. See, the one thing he lacked was, the reason he was so empty was his whole world was about him. How, what can I get? What can I get? He, he had a consumption mentality. A consumption mentality is when everything goes in, but nothing comes out. Do you know the difference between a swamp and a river? A swamp has water going in, but it has nothing going out. And it stinks. You don't drink out of a swamp. A river is, is a flow. Do you know the Bible says that a, uh, that a river flowed out of Eden to water Eden? If you're, if you're a landscape architect, you'd, you'd right there stop the writer of Genesis and say, oh, excuse me, God. As a landscape architect, <laughs> as someone that uh, understands the rises and falls of irrigation, uh, Lord, if you want the Garden of Eden to be irrigated, then I would uh, reroute and redirect this river so that the river flows into Eden to water Eden. <laughs> right now, the river flows out of Eden to water Eden. No, no, no. It... But God is smarter than us. God knows that the river has to flow out. If the river flows out, you will find that blessing flows in. God is so beautiful that He has rolled Himself in print. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, so God has rolled Himself in print. And so that, that tells me that God is not mysterious. God is not unpredictable. God is wonderfully predictable because He's put it in here. And you'll find that God has patterns all the way through so that you can walk with God with an assurity. One of the things you'll find about God is that God creates a space and then he fills it. He creates a space and he fills it. The Bible says he creates the heavens and then he fills it with stars, with planets, with solar systems, the Milky Way, the cosmos. And then he creates the sky and he fills it with birds and clouds and color and light and life. And then he creates the seas and he fills it with fish and teeming life and, and 
orca whales and porpoises and sharks and penguins and all kinds of wonderful little creatures. And then he creates the land, a space, and then he fills it with that. God creates a space and then he fills it. He creates a space and he fills it. I don't understand how by giving the tithe, how I can get more and go further on 90% when I can't pay my bills on 100%. Because what happens is when you take 10% of your income and you bring it to the house of God, you create a space. Guess who, create, guess who fills spaces that are created? God now fills a space. God, God, never fill, God, God fills to overflowing. The Bible says, and, and the, the presence of God came, and it filled the house where they were sitting. God, God fills to overflowing. When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't just get, oh, that was nice. Oh, I had a little fuzzy moment. You'll find that when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, you start speaking in languages you've never learned. Why? Because the Spirit in you is now flowing over you, and you've now tapped into other dimensions. You are now speaking in tongues of men and of angels. You're now, man, I didn't learn that language. I didn't learn. And sometimes it's a heavenly, because the Spirit in you, you're, you're overflowing and you're now connected to this, this, this larger world. God always fills to overflowing. God wants to give you the power to prosper. He wants to give you the power to prosper. Can somebody say amen? amen. All right. Uh, second one, second point is that God wants to give you permission to prosper. Permission. There's a lot of people, okay, well, there's power there, but oh, I'm just not sure. I've had people say this over the years. Well, you know, Pastor, I don't know if I trust myself. Like, if I became rich, i become greedy. Guess what? We've got an antidote. Did you know that greedy people never give and giving people never greed? The antidote to greed is really simple. Give. Give. I don't like this church here talking about money all the time. Give. See, God loves Salt Lake City. God loves this city. God loves this church. God wants us, and God bless this theater, and they've been so good to us, but the time is going to come. We're going to move out of this theater. We're going to move into our own building. We're going to have not just a building. We're going to have buildings all around Salt Lake. We're literally going to say to the uh, temple down there, come out with your hands up. You know, We've got the place surrounded. We've got the city surrounded. Come out of bondage, come into life, come into a real-life encounter with a living Savior, Jesus Christ. But, but how's it going to happen? It's going to happen through you. It's going to happen through you. You may say, whoa, 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 hang on, how can I? You'll find that all the way through the Bible, God gets people to partner. The widow of Zarephath. The Bible says, God says to Elijah, arise, see, I've commanded a widow to provide for you in Zarephath. Now, if I was Elijah, I'd be walking to Zarephath thinking, man, did Bill Gates die? Maybe it was Warren Buffett. You know, I'd be thinking some billionaire just, you know, just cocked it and, and his, you know, his wife's there. And the Bible says when he came into the gate of the city, there was a widow gathering sticks. He's like, this is crazy. No coincidence with God. God says a widow's going to provide. And the first person I lay my eyes on is a widow. And he thought, hang on, it's a drought. Let me just test. Sweetie. Give me a little drink of water. She looks around. She goes, all right. He goes, aha, that's the one. If in a drought she knows where the water supply is, she must be the one that God spoke about. And he says, oh, honey, uh, can you also make me a little cake? I'm feeling a little bit peckish. I haven't eaten for an hour. Since breakfast, the, the ravens brought me bacon and eggs. For, it was quite a liberated <laughs> Jewish man. 
And the Bible says that now as she's going to get the water, she turns around. Now, now, now the rubber hits the road. She says, as the Lord your God lives, I don't have a little cake. I've got enough flour and enough oil to bake one last cake. And then me and my son, we're going to eat it and we're going to die. Right there, I'll be like, oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I got you confused with somebody else. That's what I would have thought. I would have thought this must be the wrong widow. But because Elijah knew God, he knew, oh my gosh, how selfish of me, God. I was only looking to my world. Here is a widow that God watched bury her husband, her provision. And he watched as anxiety set in, as the flour and the oil ran down. Maybe she said a prayer that morning. She's down to her last flour and her last oil. And Elijah arrives. And watch what he says to her. He says, do not be afraid, woman. Go and do as you've said. But watch this. He says, but bake a small cake from that for me first. Because Elijah was the voice of the Lord in the countryside. And he is teaching her a principle that if you will fund, if you will resource, if you will sustain the word of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, God will, he says, go and do what you say. And watch this, sweetheart. He says, because the flour and the oil will not run dry as you put God first. So the Bible says she went and did that. She baked a small cake, gave it to Elijah, and then she looked and, wow, the oil and the flour hasn't run dry. So the next day she makes one last cake and now it looks empty. Before we eat it, before we eat it, she goes, man of God, man of God. <laughs> we just want a little cake. You go first. And he's like, oh, okay. Thank you. And then she looks, whoa. The Bible says that she and her household, hang on, <laughs> I thought it was just her and her son. She's got like cousins, second cousins twice removed. You know, she's got people she's never met before. No, no, we're family. We're family. You know, like, you know, like they're just turning up. Ach du Liebe, wie geht's dir? You know, there is food in the house. Yeah. You know, it's like she's like, she in a house. Why? Because she put first the kingdom of God. She, she decided if she was going to build God's house, you need to understand that, that God is not a miser. You need to understand if you will build his house, he will build your house. But you've got to give yourself permission to prosper. It's amazing how many Christians, you know, struggle. I remember sitting with a, with a youth pastor. And uh, in Australia, they have a, a, a deal like our cars are two and a half times the price here because the government takes 49 cents in every dollar tax for cars in Australia. So our cars are like double the price that they are here. And uh, but so we did this thing where... We found that as pastors, we were exempt from paying these taxes. So what we did was we would lease a car. And if you leased a brand new car, then at the end of 12 months or, or 18 months, you could trade it in and you would actually get more money back than, than what you, you put down. So we were driving new cars and making like four to six grand per car. So it was like it was a, a money... It was like this, you know, this little uh, loophole in the, in the system. Well, I remember, you know, pulling up this, this youth pastor of my city wanted to meet with me. So I met with him. And he's like, yeah, I don't understand how you preachers up there at C3 can, can, can live in that prosperity. 
I'm like, oh, mate, it's real simple. And I'm thinking like he wanted to know. Like, I'm ready to tell him all about this, this great deal and this loophole that he could have. And he goes, you got brothers and sisters in Africa who are starving. You know, as, as though it was my fault. You know, like there was a news report that morning, brothers and sisters in Africa are starving because Jürgen is driving a Ford. Here's the deal. People were starving in Ethiopia when I was driving a bomby car. This is going to sound crazy, but somehow I kind of don't think the car I drive has anything to do with the economy of Ethiopia. And so he's like, yeah, how can you, how can you guys preach that prosperity when there are brothers and sisters starving in third world nations? And I thought, isn't that interesting, you selfish little git? That what you want to do is you want to be poor like them so you don't have to help them. I said, you're right. People are starving because they have cruel dictatorships and corruption in the government. I said, so you need to understand they're going to be looking to somebody who can lay hold of the principles of God. Somebody who can lay hold of the, the, the prosperity and the blessings of God so that we can have more than what we need so we can reach out. Do you know, it's interesting, he, he, uh, he was talking about at that particular time about Uganda. We then funded a, an orphanage in Uganda that had over 3,000 children because the, the, the people that we had there were rescuing the, the, the child brides and then also the young boys who had to kill their parents and then were taken and put into the army. We were rescuing those and putting three times the, the, the lady who was running that orphanage was was shot out with a machine gun at point-blank range, and not one bullet touched her. It was supernatural. But you know what? It was us and our church that funded that, where now churches and pastors have come out. We're, with this Vision Builders, we're sending uh, $50,000 to them to help them buy land and build a building because they've got so many people. And right now they've got a tent structure, and they've got people sitting outside because they can't get inside because it's not big enough, and we're helping them take ground. But it's because we gave ourselves permission. you got to give yourself permission to prosper you've got to give yourself permission to be blessed now let me just let me just say this because i've got oh 45 seconds left let me just say this let me say this it's expensive to be a christian it's expensive to be a christian just let that settle A Pharisee wanting, excuse me, a lawyer wanting to justify himself said, you know, Lord, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, you know, love the Lord your God, you know, and love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> well, I, I do love God, and, but tell me, who is my neighbor? In other words, like, you know, how far do I have to do this love your neighbor deal? Because I like Barry on this side, but Trevor isn't, you know. And, uh, you know, and do I have to... The jack wagon, you know, and so, so he's trying to figure out, like he's trying to figure out. And so, you know, the story, the, the Good Samaritan, you know, the, there's a guy, a Jewish guy gets beaten up by robbers and left bleeding on the side of the road. And, and uh, you know, a rabbi sees him and crosses over because if a rabbi touches him, he's unclean and he's got to go through a whole ceremonial cleansing process. He can't be both for that guy. I ain't going through a whole day of hassle. So and the Bible says a Levite, same thing. But a Samaritan, and they're like, oh, you know, right now everyone's leaning into the story because they hated the Samaritans. And then a Samaritan stumbled upon him. Yeah, did he kick him? He probably stomped on him, didn't he? And she's like, no, no, no. The Pharisee, uh, the, the, the Samaritan picked him up and put him, what? 
that put him on his own donkey, took him to a hospital, took him to an inn, paid the innkeeper and said, listen, whatever medical expense, here's three months wages. That's what the denarii was. Here's three months wages. When I return, when I come back, if, you've, if they've had to do a, bl- a blood transfusion or reset the bone or anything like that, I'll pay the rest of the expenses. And he went away. I don't know how many Christians can find a stranger, put them in their car, take them to the hospital, not ask if they've got insurance, but pay somebody else's medical expenses. Jesus says, go and do likewise. If you want to know what a Christian is, that's what a Christian is. The devil is a liar because this youth pastor I was sitting with, finally in this this debate that we had, he says, you should only make enough for you. I said, really? That's all you should, you should just have enough for you. I said, just enough for you. How selfish. There are broken people, hurting people. We live in a world full of need. You need to give yourself permission to prosper because there are broken and hurting people that need somebody to come, that need somebody to bless them, that need somebody to say, hey, listen, I'm attached to a source and God is good. Let me pay for your groceries. Hey, let me put gas in your car. Let me help you. Let me pay that need. Hey, we want to send you a blessing. That's where the church is meant to be. The last one is the purpose of prosperity. The purpose of prosperity. So we had the power, we had permission, we had purpose. The purpose of prosperity is one thing. Deuteronomy 8.18, you shall remember the Lord your God. It is He who gives you power to get wealth that we may establish His covenants in the earth. The purpose of prosperity is not a bigger yacht, although God doesn't have problems with yachts. The problem with uh, the, the, the purpose of prosperity is not more houses, although God doesn't care how many houses you own. The purpose of prosperity is that we can establish His covenants in the earth. The purpose of prosperity is to establish His covenants in the earth. Like Pastor Vince said, if God can get it through you, He'll get it to you. God gives seed to the sower. If you don't got no seed, maybe you ain't a sower. Because God gives seed to the sower. So when my dad disowned me, said, that's it, you're not getting one cent. I had to learn from Scripture that if I begin to sow, if I begin to sow, God will provide. If you, if you would have said to me when I went to Bible college, hey, pastor, one day you're going to give a million dollars to the church. I would have said, you got rocks in your head. I left engineering, you idiot. I'm now a pastor. I'm going to Bible college. I sat down with my accountant at the end of last year. And just this year's, this year's tithes, offerings, and vision builders, Leanne and I will smash through the $1 million barrier in the 14 years that, that our church has been going. But if you would have told me when I went to Bible college and my dad disowned me that one day we would give a million dollars, I would have said, you got, how, how could that ever be? How could that ever be? But it's amazing because give and it will be given. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. You know, the Bible says the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The Bible says he who waters others will himself be watered. There's one who withholds more than is right and it leads to poverty. A greatest illustration of that is Gollum. Schmeagel. Mine, my precious. Them filthy little hobbits, we kills them. Yes, yes. No, no. Master's good. Master's good. No, them tricksy. You, you don't want to be Gollum. You don't want to be Gollum. 
There's one who withholds more than is right. Gollum, give you grief. Look at you. Look what it's done to you, God. Dish me my. Anyway, and uh, that's not the life. Greatest life, give, trust God. But listen, don't, don't, don't fear. The devil has tried to slander and malign the word prosper. The Bible says there was a famine in the land. Isaac sought to go down to Egypt. God says, you don't need to go to the world. Stay in the land. But there's a famine. Stay, stay in the, even though the economy is bad. So in this, the Bible says that Isaac sowed in that land. And in that land, he reaped a hundredfold that year. So that the man began to prosper. And continued prospering until he became so prosperous God uses the word three times in Genesis 26 so that the Philistines envied him. See, it had nothing to do. God was trying to teach Isaac. It had nothing to do with the climate. had nothing to do with the economy. has everything to do with obedience. Sow what I tell you to sow because I can watch over my seed. I can watch over my word to bring it to pass. I'm not sure where you're at today. I want you to know that God is for you, that God loves you, that you walked into a church. You walked into a house today. Well, we understand that money, money is important. Jesus spoke more about money than he spoke about heaven and hell. But we understand that the place of money is to be our servant. It's never to be your master. It's always to be your servant. You've got to make it your servant. Well, how do I know if money's my master or money's my servant? Well, it's a real simple test. If money's your master, right now you hate me. Right now, you are ticked that I'm speaking on this topic. And money's in your ear. When the offering bucket comes by and you're like, you know, I'm going to be generous today. And all of a sudden, money says, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you thinking? Well, uh, well uh, I was going to be generous. I'm, I'm in church and I feel good. Hey, 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 hey. You need me. You, you got gas. You got groceries. You got, just settle down there, Tyke. Oh, oh Okay. Money's your master. See, because if I, if I have a servant, I tell the servant what to do. But if I am a servant, the master tells me what to do. I can't tell you how many times money tries to dominate. Money says, you can't do this. You can't do that. So I'm like, oh, really? Really? I can't give this $100? You know what, money? Right now I'm going to put an extra zero on the end. It's just gone up to 1000 Anything else you want to say? Sometimes you just got to teach money who's boss. But I'm saying, I refuse to live with a shortage mentality, with a poverty mentality. Give and it will be given. Press down, shaken together. God wants you to flourish. God wants you to prosper. He wants you not just to meet your needs. He wants you to be able to meet the needs of others. God is a God of visions and dreams. There is nothing wrong with you believing God to get married, believing God to buy a home. There's nothing wrong with you for believing God to have a, a, a nice car and a nice life and good vacations. God created the earth as a playground for you, for his kids. He didn't make the, 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 the world for the devil. He made the world for you. It's a playground. And when you enjoy his playground, it gives God pleasure. It gives God delight. He wants you to enjoy that. But he wants you to have purpose. And the purpose is understanding all my blessing. Bring other people into that. Bring other people into that. Look out for somebody else. Be a blessing to somebody else. Amen. Amen. Would you just, we're out of time. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? And I want to pray for people. Maybe you're here today and you're away from God. 
Maybe you're far from God. Maybe you've never surrendered to God. Friend, I've got to tell you, each and every week in this campus and right across, people are finding Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and everything changes in a moment. Maybe you once knew God. Maybe you once knew Christ, but you're away. You slipped away, turned away, ran away, fell away. You're just away. Friend, would you come back today? Come back to Him. Maybe you're just far from God. You know, I know that we live in a world that makes it so easy to get far from God. But I've got to tell you, God's just too good. And life is too short to live your life far from God. If you're far from Him, come back today. Come back. Let God fill you again with His love. Some of you, you might say, man, you know, there's so much sin in my life. I've done so much wrong. I, I, I don't even know it. Friend, listen, the reason Jesus died on the cross was to take away all your sin. Well, you know, some of those sins, I, I, actually, I actually indulged in those sins. I, Jesus died to take away all your sin. All your sin. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is in me. Bless his holy name who forgives all your iniquities. Not most, not some, all. He has taken all of our sin and separated them from us as far as the east is from the west. God takes our sins and he remembers them no more and casts them into the sea of forgetfulness. He doesn't remember your sins anymore. The devil is a liar. He wants you to live with shame, with guilt, with condemnation, beating yourself up. Friend, you can't beat yourself up into a place where you are perfect. You can't shame or guilt your way into God's perfection. It was a gift when Jesus hung on a cross, had a crown of thorns in his head with people jeering at him. He made an exchange on that day. He carried your guilt, your shame, my sin, my iniquity. He carried it for all of us, and he made an exchange on the cross so that you could have his righteousness. You could have his perfect standing with the Father. You could have forgiveness. You could have cleansing, but even more than that, you could have his delivering power deliver you from every bondage, every addiction, every chain, and every shackle. What Jesus did on the cross was so powerful. You can have that today. So if you're one of those three categories of people, you've never surrendered, friend, surrender. You once did, but you're away. Come back. Or you're here and you're just far from God, separated from whatever. And you know today you need to not leave the same way you walked in. Would you quickly raise your hand while every head is bowed, every eye closed? And I want to say a prayer for you as we come to a close. Who are those ones? Quickly, just shoot it up high and I'll see you. Thank you. Who else is there? Quickly, would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Who else is there? Thank you, sweetie. Thank you. I see that hand. Who else is there? Just shoot it up high so that I can see it. Thank you, darling. I'm going to pray for you. Who else is there? Is there somebody else? I'd love to pray for you today. Thank you. Once I see your hand, you can put it down. Is there somebody else? Thank you through there. Thank you through there. Who will, thank you. God bless you up the back. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you over there. Who else is there? Is there one more? I am out of time, but I need to pray. Thank you, young man. I see that hand. Anybody else? Thank you. I see that hand. God bless. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. You know, so many hands went up. Let's keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Let's all say these words to God out loud. Say these words, church. Say, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you today that you so love me. You sent Jesus, your only son, to die on the cross in my place. Jesus, thank you 
that you accepted the mission, the assignment of cleansing me from all sin. When you gave your life, your blood, you cleanse me and I am forgiven. Today I am a child of God. Every sin, gone. Every hold of the devil, broken. Heaven is my home. God is my Father. And I am His servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we give all of those that raise their hands a great round of applause. Now listen, I'm going to hand back to Pastor Vince in just a second. Those of you that raise your hands, can you let us do something? We want to give you two gifts. We want to give you two gifts just for raising your hand. We're going to give you a Bible, which is God. When you buy a new car, it comes with a manual. Have you noticed that? In the glove compartment, there's a manual. How do I, how do I put gas in? Where's the... You, oh, there... Well, when you get a new life, you're born again. It comes with a manual. It's called the Bible. But because there's 66 books in there, sometimes you're like, man, I don't know where to start. And sometimes you can open it up and it's like, thou shalt not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. And you're like, oh, I wasn't intending to, but okay. So, so what we do is we have a second book called Following Jesus. Following Jesus is just... It'll just help you get, it's like training wheels. It'll just help you to get started. Start in the Gospel of John, and, and then once you get riding, you can take the training wheels off. It's just a thin little book. But they're our two gifts today. Now, if you raised your hand, please let one of the team in the high shirt give that to you. If you sat with someone that raised their hand, let somebody get, take them, make sure they get their gifts. If you would have raised your hand, knowing that we were giving away two free gifts, then go out there, you scally. We'll give you one as well. And, uh, but come on, why don't we stand up and let's welcome Pastor Vince as he comes back up. Come on, Vince. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 Salt Lake City, go to C3SaltLakeCity.com.